8, verses 31 through 59. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come from God and I am here. I came not from my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's de desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself 
and went out of the temple. All right, well, good morning, Mercy Hill Church. My name is Brad. I'm one of the elders here, and it's great to be with you. A big thanks to the Strom family for our scripture reading today. That was great, Kelly. I know it was a long passage of scripture. I know the whole family was probably involved in getting that recorded. So uh, we're thankful for that and thankful to be able to see some, some other faces on our live stream. Speaking of other faces, we heard good news this last week. Construction will begin on the new uh, air conditioning unit that's going to be installed in this building on Wednesday. And so hopefully a few more faces in the next few weeks will be able to gather here after the HVAC has been installed. We'll have four different areas where you can gather. You can choose to gather here with a mask on for the live recording uh, of our Sunday gathering downstairs, either in the pews or in about 100 chairs that we've provided on the sides for plenty of social distancing. You can, in a second option, choose to gather in the balcony. In a third option, you can choose to gather in the family room where the live stream will be provided on a screen. Uh, especially for, for younger kids who may be having a hard time uh, sitting still or, or being quiet for, for a full hour. And then also we'll continue to provide the live stream, especially for those who continue to, to gather with us from home. And so we'll keep you updated uh, regarding that. Today's passage of Scripture, John chapter 8. It is a long text. It's a very important text. So I would invite you... Jump up and grab a Bible, a real physical paper Bible, if you don't have one. And uh, grab it and turn to John chapter 8. And as you're turning there, oftentimes in the South, when the question is asked, do you believe in God? From my experience, people typically will answer with the following statement. Oh yeah, I attend church and they'll fill in the blank. In fact, when our family first moved into Midtown, a friend came and joined me and we did some canvassing north of where we live on, on Belvedere in Valentine Evergreen. And, and if you get north of Jackson Avenue in that community, there are many homes um, with families that are a little poorer. And we found that during the day, we could find people who at times were walking or sitting on their porches. And we could have conversations. And so, lots and lots of days, as I was seeking to get to know people and to build relationships. And just find out a little bit about the climate of this area. I spent a good bit of time walking those streets and talking with individuals. And that would be the consistent message I would hear from those to believe in God, they would say, oh yes, I attend church. And it, I, one man in particular stood out. He said, oh yes, I attend church. And my friend asked him, well, what church do you attend? He said, oh, my brother's church. We said, great. What church is that? And he said, I can't remember the name. And we said, that's okay. You don't have to remember the name. Where is his church? Where do you, where's the church building? Where do you gather? And he said, you know, it's up 
I can't quite remember where it is. And we said, how long has it been since you've actually attended church? He couldn't remember the name. He couldn't remember where it was located. But it was, his brother was the pastor. Jesus unpacks for us in this passage of Scripture. He is going to say that going to church is not enough to believe in God. That even reading the Scriptures is not enough to be a follower of His. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus is going to call us into a relationship where He calls us to abide in Him or abide in His Word or abide in His teachings. And that's what I want to unpack for you in the next 25 minutes or so. The context of this passage, we've been in it for a while. Jesus, his popularity has been declining. He's teaching in the temple, if you'll remember. It's the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. And I want you just to get a picture really quickly of what Jesus is saying. Because in John chapter 7, we saw this water ceremony that took place as the priest would bring a pitcher of water from the pool of Siloam. And he would come into the temple with tens of thousands of people. And the kids would, they would actually have branches, palm branches or myrtle branches. And as he brought the water in. Now keep in mind, the historians have written and they have said that if you haven't seen this particular festival, then you have no context for understanding what true joy is like. This was a party as he would bring this pitcher of water in, kids would begin to beat their palm branches and their myrtle branches against the ground so that the leaves would fall off. And it was representative of the harvest that they were receiving in the fall. That God had provided rain. And that this agrarian society would again last for another year because they would have food to eat. And there would be great joy that would take place. And it was in that moment that Jesus would step forth. And that he would say in, in John chapter 7 verses 37 and 38. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then after that ceremony, the party would just kick in. I mean it would just... Uh, kind of move up another notch because after that ceremony they would light these four towers that were about 75 feet tall these huge candelabras that would turn the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women it, it would make it go from night to day in fact it was said throughout Jerusalem that every courtyard could was illuminated because of these huge 75 foot lamp posts that were lit and it was in that moment that as the Levites would come out and that they would play their trumpets and that they would take their cymbals and that this loud joyous dancing and singing that Jesus would say I am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life and we looked at that last week in John 8 verse 12. Now understand, Jesus is making these incredibly bold statements. And he isn't just saying that he, is an, that he has an important message to share. He is saying that he is the message. That all these ceremonies that the Jews have celebrated and all of Jewish history has been pointing to him. 
And so at this point, the Jews either love Jesus or they hate him. His claims are so big and so bold that they recognize that Jesus is either either the Messiah who they have been expecting or he is a maniac. He is a madman. And there's no in between. Jesus leaves no neutral. And the same is true for us today. Many people don't recognize this. But this passage is going to unpack and show us that Jesus today is either loved and worshipped and revered or he is hated and despised. And we're going to see that in this text. Look in verse 31 as Jesus makes this incredible statement. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Now if you look at the context of this passage. It's interesting that Jesus would use the word. That John would write and he would say that Jesus is addressing those who had believed in him. Because oftentimes when we think of this text. And we've probably heard it preached on in the past. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's this idea that you should come to believe. But in this text, Jesus is actually preaching to those who at some level had come to believe in him. But this should offer us a a strong word of warning instantly. It's a warning to all Christians because belief is good. But Jesus seems to indicate that true disciples don't merely have a date written in the front of their Bibles when they were baptized. That true disciples are not men and women who came to a a very difficult place in their lives in which they realized that they were stuck. And that they made some promise to God to say, if you'll get me out of this jam, I'll do anything, God. I'll I'll even attend church. True disciples of Jesus are more than this. A true disciple of Jesus is a person, Jesus says, who, listen to this word, abides in his word, in his teaching. Who remains in him. Jesus is indicating that true faith perseveres. It holds tight to Jesus' teaching. It remains in his word. Stick around. We're going to end today exploring what that looks like. Jesus goes on to explain an incredible truth. He says that if we abide in his word, he says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I think we, we spend our entire lives trying to gain freedom. If you think about it, from a young age, kids are looking for freedom. They're looking for that moment when mom and dad won't say that, no, you can't have another sweet drink or no, you can't have another, uh, another dessert, but that you can have anything that you want or long for. Like kids long for that moment. And Teenagers long for that time where they can get out of high school or they can get their driver's license or they can get maybe middle schoolers long for, I just can't wait until I have a cell phone and there will be freedom. That There will be a life without limits. We all long for this. It's kind of the American dream in a way that 
That we can get out from under the authority of others. That we can be our own boss. But here Jesus is saying that true freedom is found in abiding in him. Abiding in his teachings. D.A. Carson has said it this way. I have a quote that you can follow along. D.A. Carson has said that true freedom is not the liberty to do anything we please. But the liberty to do what we ought. And it's a genuine liberty because doing what we ought now pleases us. That's the life of a follower of Jesus. That we find great joy in the commandments that Jesus offers us. Because we find that Jesus shows us the greatest and most joyful way to live. The Jews, however, didn't accept that. And neither do men and women today. Let's look at verses 33 through 38 to find out why. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The sun remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. In this passage of scripture, this is a very difficult passage of scripture in which Jesus is making some very harsh claims. We're going to see that Jesus' popularity uh, just continues to decline and decline because he's speaking the truth of God. That, I said it earlier, that there's never neutral when it comes to Jesus. That either Jesus is honored and revered and worshipped, which means that we seek to follow him, or he is hated and denied. And in this text, Jesus is saying that if we don't abide, that we are slaves to sin. If we don't abide, we are slaves to sin. The Jews wouldn't accept that. They said, we've never been enslaved to anyone. Now, in order to understand this passage, at first glance, that seems like a really silly statement for the Jews to make. We've never been enslaved to anyone it's kind of like, do you know your own history? I mean, let's, what are you celebrating in this moment? You've created these tents, these booths that you are living in and eating your meals in and sleeping in. And they're all reminding you of the 40 years that your ancestors wandered in the desert. That they followed God and God provided for them because you were coming out of slavery, Egypt. So it seems clear that the Jews aren't speaking to physical slavery. But there's three types of slavery that we need to be reminded of, which means that there's also three types of freedom. There's external slavery and there's external freedom. There's internal slavery and internal freedom. And then there is eternal slavery and eternal freedom. Think about that for a moment. In our day and in our time in which we live right now, just these last few months, there is a lot of talk about external freedoms. 
the freedom to wear a mask or not to wear a mask. There are all types of conversations that go on about external freedom. But in this passage of scripture, Jesus is going to make the point that external freedom means really nothing without internal freedom and eternal freedom. That if we don't have internal freedom and eternal freedom, then external freedom will merely be very temporary. Now think about that for a minute. Here, as Jesus talks with them, Jesus, uh, he begins to break it down for them. Look at verse 34. He says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Jesus is saying, not only does the practice of sin prove that a person is a slave to sin, but it actively enslaves them. Think about that in your own life. Think about that in the lives of individuals that you know who are enslaved to sin. That sin that they seek in order to find a moment of reprise, a moment in which they can just uh, find peace, a moment of happiness, that sin and that moment actually begin to enslave them. D.A. Carson says it this way. I got one more quote for you. It's a long one. Follow along. For Jesus then the ultimate bondage is not enslavement to a political or economic system. But vicious slavery to moral failure. To rebellion against the God who made us. The despotic master is not Caesar. But shameful self-centeredness and evil and enslaving devotion to created things at the expense of worship of the creator. This is why Jesus would not let himself be reduced to the level of a merely political Messiah. It is not that his claims... Hear this statement clearly. I think this statement needs to be heard in our day and time. It is not that his claims have no bearing on questions of social justice. But the pursuit of social justice alone will always prove vain and ephemeral. Which means not very long lasting. Unless the deeper enslavement is recognized and handled. In Jesus' view, Caesar himself is a slave. What, what an incredible statement. It, Caesar himself, the one who would be the ruler and the most powerful. The one who is in authority. Who would say, worship me as a God. That he is himself enslaved. Because he does not have internal freedom. And he will not find eternal freedom. Look at verses 39 through 47. Jesus is going to go on to say that if we don't abide, we are children of the devil. That's a strong statement. Hear these words from Jesus beginning in verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, and he's going to prove why that statement is incorrect. If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. So Jesus is trying to, he's holding them accountable for their actions. They are actively seeking to kill him. And so he says, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, 
if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are, are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Jesus is inviting them. Like, find a fault in me. How many of us would dare desire, uh, would dare make that claim? He says, if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God, hears the words of God. The reasons why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This, this text gets really ugly. Jesus refuses to acknowledge their claim that they're Abraham's children because they're seeking to kill him, which is the work of the devil, not the work of Abraham. And Jesus is in essence calling them spiritual bastards in this text. And the Jews are obviously frustrated with this insinuation. And Jesus his claim he's making to be the son of God. And so they accuse him of being born of sexual immorality. So we've reached this point in which the Jews are slinging so much mud that you know it's gotten really ugly when folks start talking about other folks' mamas. And that's in essence what's going on in this text. And, set, and Jesus just simply replies that you are a children of the devil. He says in verse 44... That Satan is your father and that he was the father of lies. All the way back to the garden. In which he said to Eve, surely Eve, surely you will not die if you eat of the fruit. And Jesus is just pointing out to them. Look at the way in which you are living your life. Look at the evidence of your life. Not your claim, not your pedigree to be the children of Abraham. But look at the fruit of your life. And the fruit of your life is going to show who you're abiding in and who you're worshiping. Thirdly and finally, in verses 48 through 59, Jesus is going to say that if we don't abide in him, that we will taste death. If we don't abide in Jesus, he says that we will taste death. Listen to these verses. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he's the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. What an incredible statement. That if we keep Jesus' word, if we remain in him, if we abide in him, if we are steadfast in following Jesus, he says we'll never see death. Never taste death. Are you, he goes on, he says, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? They're questioning Jesus. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me. Of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. 
If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. A statement that they should have recognized. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus offers the strong and the final warning. And I've read all these verses because so oftentimes we think of Jesus and we rewrite the story of the Bible to be a story that is so kind and so nursery rhyme-ish that we would plaster it on our kids' nursery walls. But Jesus has very harsh words to say in this text. He says if we don't abide in him and remain in his word that we're slaves to sin. Which means that we are going to live this enslaved lifestyle even while we're here on earth. He goes on to say that if we don't abide that we are children of the devil. And finally if we don't abide that we will taste death. This strong and final warning that the consequences of abiding in and following the world is death. Internally and eternally. Sin enslaves us. It's in created things and we're following after the world. There's no in between. And so if we're going to abide in Jesus and remain in his teachings, we must begin with the Bible. We must begin with the Bible. And as I say that, I just want to ask you, just in a real and a very humble way that you would examine your hearts today. Even as you hear that statement, we must begin with the Bible. How many of you, as I say that, your reaction is, here we go again. Or, yeah, 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 I've heard that all my life. Or for how many of you is it, come on, if you're going to sit there and tell me that we've got to study the Bible, isn't that just legalism? Listen, I want to ask that you would examine your heart for a moment. Because our response in that moment, I think, tells us a lot about what we treasure and about what we love. Be very careful. Because you are correct that we don't have to study the Bible. The truth of the matter is that we get to study the Bible. Because the scriptures say that it is a lamp unto my feet and that it lights my path. And so it shows me the best way to live. And if you are living life without meeting Jesus in his word regularly, then you are walking in darkness. I don't know a better way to say it than the way that, the, that uh, it's said in the Proverbs. The last time I preached on this text, I used it as a funeral message for a really good friend who was under 30, who OD'd. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And I can remember preaching to hundreds of people at that funeral. And my friend who had struggled with addiction his whole adult life, who I, I believe and hope was truly a follower of Jesus because 
Uh, he was a young man who I discipled for several years. And we had incredible conversations. And he really even encouraged my faith. And at times I felt like he really showed more faith than even what I was exuding. As he would ask me, Brad, pray for me. And I would say, oh, I will, buddy. And as I would say, well, hey, I'll talk to you later. He would say, no, pray for me now on the phone. Like, I need Jesus. And I remember that funeral preaching. There were hundreds of people there. And there were dozens upon dozens of addicts who were there. And I remember one of those individuals coming to me after and saying that, it's only through my addiction that I've been able to see that I've got to be more addicted to Jesus than I am addicted to the things of this world. That I've got to wake up every day saying, I've got to be addicted to Jesus today. I need Jesus. I can't make it in this world without Jesus. And my addiction to Jesus is the only reason why I'm alive today. I think it was powerful. I think there's something that the in the NA community can teach us. Not because they're more broken than us or because they have problems or sins that are deeper or greater than ours, but because they've come to a point in their life in which they've reached rock bottom. And for those who are willing to acknowledge their need for Jesus, that their dependence upon them is great on a daily basis. One of the problems in our society today during the pandemic is that in order to abide in Jesus, we need to abide in his word and we need to be a part of his community. And we're struggling with both of those. We're struggling big time. An article just came out in Christianity Today that says Bible reading drops during social distancing. I find this to be fascinating. Between 2019 and 2020, the percentage of U.S. adults who say they use the Bible daily dropped from 14% to 9%. Now that might not sound like a big percentage to you. But over the last 10 years, on average, about 13.7% of adults in America have said that the, the Bible, they use it daily. And that percentage, as of last June, last month, was 8.5%. So it dropped by 5%. One finding is that when relational church engagement goes up, so does scripture engagement. Which would also tell us that when relational church engagement goes down, as we've been experiencing because of the pandemic, that so does abiding in the scriptures go down. Now, a word of warning here. I'm not suggesting that Bible reading equals abiding in Jesus. Please hear me saying that because that would be very foolish. In John chapter 5 we just recently studied where the words were written. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So it's very scary. We can study the Bible and miss relationship with Jesus. We can study the Bible and even know the scriptures and miss the Jesus of the Bible. However, we will certainly miss the Jesus of the Bible if we never open our Bibles to remain in him. And so today, how do we abide? How do we abide? Because this, is a, this isn't a burden, it's a delight. 
If you ask me, how do you abide in relationship with your wife? I don't say, well, you know, I really struggle in the mornings and I hate to get out of bed early, but I just set my alarm 10 minutes early so I can wake up and talk to my wife because I don't really enjoy doing it, but I know it's good for me. No! I love to be with my wife. I love to spend time with my wife. I'm always looking for times that we can hang out and interact and go on a date and have conversations because I delight in my wife. And the same can be true of abiding in Jesus. I believe that abiding in Him is more than simply studying the Bible. But I also think it's not less than that. And so as we come to think about that, three quick things to leave you with. Begin with the Bible. Begin with the Bible. We've introduced the CBR uh, Community Bible Reading Journal reading plan. And some of you guys have gotten kind of hung up on the fact that uh, it's a journal that needs to be completed or filled out or that it's something like the latest diet plan that you're on that you failed at. The truth of the matter is this. It's just a reading plan. There's an Old Testament chapter to read each day. There's a New Testament chapter to read each day. If that's too much, just stick with the New Testament chapter. If that's too much and you're like, I don't even get that, just read the a chapter from Proverbs. So if today is July the 26th, pull the book of Proverbs out and read Proverbs chapter 26 and do that every day of the month. My point is this, be in the scriptures. The CBR reading plan is simply a strategy for getting our entire church in the same rhythm, not of reading the Bible, We've got to move past that. But of meeting with Jesus daily. Because these are Jesus' words. So we delight in Jesus by delighting in his word. And so we, we look and our hope is that this habit would be developed over time. A habit that yields freedom. That as we abide in him. That we experience the freedom that comes in knowing is true. Secondly, it must be sustained in community. And this is a difficult thing for us right now. And so it may mean that we have to lean into Zoom a little bit more. It may mean that we have to call some friends up. But listen, it is so encouraging. When I get on my coffee group, Zoom call at 6.30 in the morning. And I talk with friends. And I hear I hear Jason say, there's this one little verse, and I want to read it to you. And God just really, I just felt like the Holy Spirit just really gave it to me and impressed it upon my heart and my life. And it gave me freedom. And he tells me, and he reads this verse, and I see the way in which God has spoken to him. And it's encouragement to me. Because I'm reminded that God is still speaking to his people. He's speaking to my friends, and he will speak to me. So we must begin with the Bible. And it must be sustained in community. But finally, it can be practiced in all of life. And I'll just end with this. It can be practiced in all of life. I was, this weekend, our family was with another family. And there was a mom who was there with many young kids. And I got, got up yesterday, not that early. And she had been up for a while. And I walked out on the porch. And I was uh, reading the Saturday text in the CBR journal, which is just one chapter in a psalm. And as I read it on the app on my phone, I heard this mom 
talking to her kids. And she said, kids, what do you hear outside? And they started naming what they heard. And she said, but do you hear the birds? Do you hear the birds singing? Jesus tells us that he cares for the birds. And he tells us that if he cares for the birds, then he cares for us too. Kids, do you know that? That Jesus cares for you? And in that moment, that mom, who I'm sure hadn't had the time to get up and read in her Bible, because her kids were probably up at 5.30 in the morning, she was abiding in Jesus. Because she was reminding her kids of the truths of the Bible. And in that moment, she was reminding herself of the truths of the gospel that Jesus cares for her. Brother Lawrence is, is someone who, his little book, Practicing the Practice of the Presence of God, it's written over 400 years ago. He was a monk. He was a clumsy monk. He didn't feel that he was good for much. And as he lived in the monastery, his book, it's been very, very dear to me and very encouraging. He found there was very little difference between the hours of prayer and the hours of washing dishes. And in that time, he would write this little hymn that begins his book, A Pilgrim's Prayer, Lord of all pots and pans and things, make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. Brother Lawrence had found the practice of the presence of abiding in Jesus all the day long. Even in the washing of dishes can be a worship to Jesus as we abide in him. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that we might be a people who delight in abiding in you. God, we know that our hearts are sinful and that God, we are prideful and that we are selfish and that God our hearts oftentimes will tell us that we do not need you but God through the work of your spirit in this time in which we see so much brokenness in our world God may your Holy Spirit allow that brokenness to cause our abiding to grow even more deeper in you. Not because we have it all together. God, not because we are strong, but because we are weak. And we have placed our hope in the one who is our risen Savior. The one who speaks the truths of life. The one, even Jesus, who sets us free. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.